0: The big thing was they wanted us to produce the movie. At least they were willing to let us produce the movie ourselves, which was what we really wanted to hear.
1: Welcome back or welcome to Toughest Call, a podcast for organizational leaders where we hear stories from your leadership colleagues about career-defining decisions. I'm your host, Chaz Thorne. In this episode, I'm talking with John Watson about a tough call he faced in the making of his movie, Robin Hood, starring Kevin Costner. John is a Hollywood producer with credits including Backdraft, Blown Away, Mall Flanders, The Outer Limits, Harriet, and The Last Full Measure. John talks about a particularly tough call with a tight timeline he and his partners had to make in the early days of their movie, Robin Hood. This decision had significant ripple effects, both good and bad, that would be felt for decades to come. John, let's start at the point where you decided to write this script for Robin Hood and why.
0: My writing partner and producing partner, Penn and I, had... uh moved from a fairly successful documentary career in Canada out to LA and had been making our way slowly into the biz. We'd made three low-budget films uh, with minimal success, but we'd written all three of them and we began to get a little bit of a reputation as screenwriters. We both grew up in England and we both had a fondness for Robin Hood and we were kind of I guess inspired by Indiana Jones and thought, wouldn't it kind of fun to do Robin Hood in the style of Indiana Jones as an action-adventure fun story? So we came up with a plot and thought we had a pretty good pitch, and we went around to the studios. We were at this point where we could get into the room to pitch our stories in Hollywood, but we're not an instant sell. Right. Um, They weren't, like, hungry for... (laughs) watch some movies but they you know they were willing to listen so we thought this was a pretty damn good pitch and it turned out that it just fell flat and no, no one was interested the general reaction was medieval times men in tights in the forest but no 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 no, no men in tights no not, not that this is like the whole you know, this is reality these are like real real guys living in the forest you know living rough um, trying to make it oh, well, why can't you set it into the future? Like, what would be great It's a sci-fi movie. How about, you know, <laughs> Robin Hood on Mars? And we're going, no, 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 no. We've got this vision and we want to do this. So we went, we did some soul searching and after getting rejected a few times, we decided, look, this is great, you know, and Penn had written up a an outline of the script and um, we were going, let's just go for it. You know, let's just try it we'd been mostly going for it since we got out here so it was like all right one more time you know who knows we'll get paid who knows it'll get made but it's a good idea let's try it so we start writing and one my house was actually being um remodeled and uh well that's an overstatement we we're having a few repairs done to my house so we had to move out and i was temporarily living at my agent's house so i'm, I'm writing the script one night and he comes in and says what are you working on and i go Oh, uh, Robin Hood. He goes, what, Robin Hood? You're out of your mind, forget it. Robin Hood is being made next summer. This was like now January. It's being made this summer It 20th Century Fox are making it I'm like, oh my God, John McTinn is directing it, you know, forget about it, try something else. So, you know, I call Penn and we go, I don't know, we're so far into it, let's just go for it. You know, let's see what happens. So we finished the script and it feels really good. And it's like now second week in February. In fact, the big event, uh, the big decision that I'm coming to actually came down on Valentine's Day, which is kind of
1: oh, interesting. Okay. So
0: we, sh- we shared the script with uh, our partners and the people at the company and everybody's getting going over the moon saying, this is really, this is great. This is fantastic. you know. And uh, we're starting to think we really have something. And we showed it to the agent, the same agent who said, um, Don't write we it. shouldn't do it he, <laughs> he was in a, he was now in a moral dilemma because he had an, a, a directing client who was going to direct a Hood and he had these writing slash producing clients who um, <clears throat> who'd written one so he kind of like he decided like I got to support you and my clients. let's see if we can sell this thing." So he had came up with a strategy of putting it out to the marketplace and he gave everybody. it it was a time when the context was that actually there was a writer's guild strike right before this. So there was a real shortage of scripts.
1: Right. Okay. And
0: and this was just coming out of the strike. So the studios were very hungry for material at this point. And -hmm. there were a number of bidding wars being set up, but he thought he could could, create this movie. The script was strong enough that he could create a little bit of a bidding war for the the script.
1: And what year was this, John, just for,
0: 1990. 1990. 1990. 1990. Okay. 90. So um, <clears throat> he sent the script out to, well, first of all, we had a first, what was called a first look deal at a studio. We, would get, we were get receiving a certain amount of our overhead paid for by Paramount, and they got to look at the script before anybody else did. And they wrestled with it for uh, 24 hours, however long they were given. And kind of reluctantly, it was like, yes, I think we're going to buy it. No, we're not. So we were like, you know, up and down, up and down. We were, you know, we were really struggling filmmakers, right? I mean, we were trying to, we had young families, we were trying to, you know, make ends meet. And um, so every decision was like vital and we were really, really on tenterhooks, you know? And uh, so that Paramount said no. And so then it went out to another marketplace. And this was a remarkable day on February the 14th, 1990, where we were getting word through our agent all through the day. Oh, this the junior executive at Warner Brothers likes it, and he's passed it on to the senior executive. And then two hours later, the senior executive likes it. He's passed it on to the president. <laughs> the president is out to dinner right now, but as soon as he gets back, he's going to read the script and let, you know. So this was going on at about four or five studios at the same time. You know, we got some early passes. People weren't interested, but we were down to like three or four. And um, finally, it was late in the evening at 10 o'clock at night, we got a call saying um, we have three buyers. And uh, so we're all excited. And and, uh, the next day, we started analyzing the three bids. And one didn't seem very realistic. And we kind of one was dismissed we ended up essentially with two choices and they they turned out to be very, very different choices. Um, Warner Brothers were interested through Joel Silver who was a very uh, successful producer at the time. He was making a, a lot of films, they're making a lot of money, all in the kind of action genre. Right. And his basic deal was he was offering us a lot of money. Uh, I don't even know the dollar amount, but it was mind blowing to us young struggling filmmakers, it was a life changing number. And, but he was going to produce it, and we were going to go away, we wanted to be attached as producers, we produced the three budget movies we'd made already, everything we ever made in Canada, we had produced ourselves. So the idea of stepping away from our own movie was not something we were keen on, but the money was ooh, all right. (laughs) It wasn't exactly retirement money, but it was like, it was life changing. So uh, that was intriguing. And Joel Silver didn't uh, have any interest in talking to us. He didn't want to meet with us, didn't want to talk with us. It was like, take it, leave it, you know, like throw the money at them. Right. And simultaneously, we got an offer from this company called Morgan Creek, who had a reputation for being a little bit eccentric. They had had um, success with um, a couple of films in the, in the previous year. And it was perceived that the success was due to uh, Joe Roth, who was a partner in the company. And Joe Roth was now running 20th Century Fox, which, if you remember, was the company that was about to make Robin Hood that summer. And the company was now being run by Jim Robinson, James G. Robinson. And he was a, somewhat of a maverick, had no background in the film business. He'd made a lot of money in the car, in car business, and he was like pouring his money into film. So there was a suspicious voice, suspicion voice to us by, on some quarters that Jim was going to buy the film, take it off the market for his friend Joe, and that, uh, you know, the idea was to bury the script. Okay. So we didn't know what to do. But anyway, so we went in and had a meeting with Jim, who's a very strange character, and, uh, and he brought in, you know, all, all the heads of his company, and we sat around, and he basically convinced us that he was serious. In fact, we figured out that his motivation was actually to prove that Joe Ross wasn't the power behind Morgan Creek, <laughs> that Jim Robinson was the power behind oh, Morgan Creek. God. And, we, got, and we, we didn't really know whether to believe him or not, but that was the impression we got from it was it was a giant F.U. to Joe Roth, and he wanted to go make this movie. So the, the big thing was they wanted us to produce the movie. At least they were willing to let us produce the movie ourselves, which was what we really wanted to hear.
1: So this is really your, your tough call. It's do we take this very large amount of money and go away, which is oftentimes how things work in the, in the studio system, especially with, with writers, or do we remain involved, much riskier, some question marks around the true intentions of Jim at Morgan Creek and uh, significantly less money.
0: It's also a massive perceived difference in terms of viability. If Joel Silver, if Warner Brothers bought the script from Joel Silver, there was a very high percentage chance they were gonna get it made. It was still contingent on the budget being right and getting the right actors and a lot of other factors like that, all the chips falling into place but it was perceived to be a much higher percentage chance of happening, whereas Morgan Creek was really a giant unknown. And they made it pretty clear that they weren't gonna make it unless we got the right director on board, unless we got the right actors on board, unless the budget was um, at a substantially lower place than, than Joel Silver was willing to do. So there were a lot of other factors of unknowns about the reality of the Morgan Creek situation.
1: When you finally made that decision, can you point to what what was really, what did it really hinge on? What finally made you go, this is the direction we're going to go?
0: I think it was as a, as to do with, I mean, certainly can speaking for myself, it was to do with my identity as a filmmaker, uh, as a creative individual. It was more of the ability the, uh, Opportunity to go make a movie that I was passionate about and cared about was more important to me than the money. Hmm. Um, you know, I had a young family, I had, two, uh, uh, had a baby just born and, and, and three older kids, so it wasn't like a minor thing, but I, had, I wanted to look at what did I want to leave behind? What was my, you know, what was my goal in life, career goal as a filmmaker?
1: So, you make the decision, and in this particular case, the decision was to—and obviously, this is public record. So, uh, the decision was to make it with uh, with Morgan Creek, and to remain involved and not sell sell the um, sell the the project. So, when you move into that that next phase of things, so the decision is made. What happened? next as you moved into you know preparing the film and and production and so on
0: this is bizarre how the zeitgeist happens you know from this situation where nobody was interested in our script about robin hood wanted it you know didn't want to make a movie set in medieval times suddenly there were three other projects out there literally we were one of four robin hoods so we had to be we had to be first and it had to happen quickly Anyway, what happened fairly quickly in the process is Morgan Greek got a call from the legendary Michael Ovitz, the agent at CAA, saying, Kevin Costner wants to be Robin Hood. Hmm. And oh, we all going, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, great. But it all depends on who the director is. You know, He will do the movie, but he needs to know the director is. And he has been talking to... McKinnon at Fox. He's been talking to, um, uh, the, the uh, to try star the third film and, um, you know, it's a race. So you want Kevin, make it happen.
1: So how did you go from that call to knowing you're in a race and knowing that, okay, this, this next step in the process, this next big commitment, it has to be the director.
0: There was a young director called Kevin Reynolds who happened to be represented by our agency who had done a movie with Kevin Costner called Fandango, which was only marginally successful. And um, he kind of liked the script um, and said he was interested, but he was attached to a movie at Universal at the time that was supposedly a go movie and that he thought was gonna get made that summer so he was just someone we were having a conversation with and I thought it was a, it was a good route to get Kevin Costa because I knew the two of them really liked each other and wanted to make movies together again. Right. Um, we're, we're good friends and they went on vacations diving, deep sea diving the vacations together and stuff. and I thought, well, this is, you know, this is great and he'll probably keep us within budget because he's not, you know, he's not, not a big time director. So that seemed like a good option, but it wasn't going anywhere. I persuaded Walking Creek that we should go ahead and start acting like we were making the movie. So I went over to, to England and started prepping the film as if it was going to be happening, even though at that time we didn't have a director. So uh, I'm going all around England, trying to find locations. I'm trying to, I'm meeting up with all the best production designers, the best cinematographers, the best, the best at everything. Trying to line up who our personnel would be because i realized we were looking at it potentially in very short prep time in this process i got a call from kevin costner on a friday evening saying sorry not kevin costner kevin reynolds i had never spoken to kevin costner at this point by the way this was just he was the big target right. who i couldn't actually have a direct conversation with um, so I have a conversation with kevin reynolds and kevin reynolds says I think this movie's falling apart at Universal. It's not going to happen. I just got out of a budget meeting. They said, my budget's too high. They don't want to make it. So if you're still interested, let's talk Robin Hood.
1: So you finally now, you've now uh, secured your, your director. You would go on to obviously secure the other Kevin, Mr. Costner as well. Um, what was just overall... Um, what was the experience of actually making the film?
0: Well, I would say in short, it was a nightmare. It was both the best and the worst of times. Uh, (laughs) The the warning sign was there on the plane. We're flying to London. Uh, Reynolds says to me, is Kevin Carson necessarily the right guy for this movie? I'm not (laughs) going, I'm sorry to myself. He's the only reason you're involved. You're sitting on this plane with me is because of your relationship with Kasia and you're questioning that. And then having told the studio the day before that there was nothing wrong with the script, he immediately started talking about potentially massive changes in the script, like sufficiently big that I'm going, how can we be shooting this movie while there's still leaves on the tree? Right. Right. So you're if, if well. and... you are fighting against weather, we start shooting in in four weeks. You know, like <laughs> we can't be changing things. And it got worse and worse. I mean, he he disappeared for a week just before we started shooting, and completely rewrote the script, and then demanded that we we shoot his version of the script. And we ended up shooting some of his version, some of our version, and then Kevin Costner arrived late because he'd been finishing Dances with Wolves. And he had changes he wanted to make too, or he like preferred our version. He didn't understand why we were changing it. Uh, It got crazy, and we started shooting sufficiently late in the year that a lot of our forest scenes, there literally weren't any leaves on the trees. In fact, some of those scenes, those leaves are physically stuck onto the tree branches. (laughs) Because, and we ended up with this massive coup of getting. sean connery to play the king for the last scene of the movie right and we had this one day to do it and it was now november sometime so we came up with the fallen leaves strategy and got truckloads of leaves and had people standing off camera throwing (laughs) leaves movie magic (laughs) (laughs) anyway there's lots of stories like that but the um it was tough we shot six day weeks uh, for over 100 days, and it was originally supposed to be 60 days, which, you know, speaks to a number of things that I don't need to get into, but it was very, very difficult.
1: What What do you think it is about the film that people connected to then and, and still do? I see it come up every once in a while still.
0: Yeah, I think it had a combination of sensibilities that really, really appealed. I mean, I think, I think... The vast majority of people really enjoyed Kevin Costner in the lead, and uh, in, in spite of his accent and in spite of all the critics, and this movie is pretty well critic proof. We have had not done we didn't do terribly well with reviews. Um, I think you know the, the the single biggest appeal of the movie has always been Alan Rickman as the sheriff, and people and most people who talk to me about the movie just love Alan Rickman, and um, I have to give a lot of credit to Kevin Reynolds for the. That portrayal, he really encouraged Alan to go for it to, to a degree beyond where I was necessarily comfortable. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, let's try it, but is this going to work? You know, it's is an this, incredible is performance. Over, is over the top portrayal actually going to work in a movie that is, you know, essentially grounded? Right. Um, and I think that you know, Morgan's uh, presence in the movie is, is a huge plus. I mean, he's just so gracious and he, he just. Changed the perception of Robin Hood in a very significant way by having a, you know, a, a Muslim at the heart of this movie. I think you know a, a black person at the heart of Robin Hood. That's like that was a that was a breakthrough concept. What
1: effect did making Robin Hood have afterwards, though, in terms of doors that it opened for you and and so on. So, I guess really what I'm getting at is even if the making of that particular film was, was really, really difficult
0: and and challenging. It was, it it was a massive difference. Mm. Absolutely massive. I might've been able to get paid some good money to write scripts because of the success of the script. If it had, if it had been made by Joel Silver and had equivalent success, you know, a couple of hypotheses there, but if it had been made, I would have had a successful career as a screenwriter for a while it would have been very hard for me to get going as a producer. Whereas its success with myself and my partners as a producers would like open doors beyond imagination. You know, we were now perceived to be the hot young producers in town. So, particularly given that back Backdrop came down and was equally, almost equally successful in the same year, uh, it was massive. It changed everything.
1: If, one of your students came to you um, and they presented you with a, uh, with a similar tough call that they were, were faced with. What advice would you give them around that?
0: Uh, I always say, go for the gut, go with your gut, go with your instincts, you know, look in the mirror. What do you want to be? What's the next step in your career? Where do you see yourself being in, a few years from now, um, the, what's the best route to get you there? You can't be as scared of the hard work. You can't be scared of the pain. I tell them this I tell them this story or elements of this story, yeah, the decision that I made. is helpful, you know, because it makes it tangible. Um, and don't second guess yourself. You've just got to go for it. And if, you know, whatever it is that you want to be, how do you get yourself to be that person? What are the decisions you have to make to get there?
1: If you'd like to learn more about John and his work, check out his profile on imdb.com and take a watch of some of his movies and TV shows. And if you'd like some assistance with your own Tough Calls, we've compiled a collection of free tools just for you. Go to toughestcall.com to check them out. If you're not yet a subscriber to Toughest Call, please add us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I hope this conversation helps you when faced with your next tough call.